0: Good morning Eastside family. We're going to let our children ages 4 through 3rd grade make their way to junior worship. My stage crew can help me out right now. Junior worship ages 4 through 3rd grade. We got some new folks that are here this today and so all you need to do is just walk in that direction with the rest of the parents, the rest of you take your Bibles and turn this morning to Luke chapter 3, and as you're turning to Luke chapter 3, I want to mention to you one of the very important aspects of our worship assembly, and that as our offering that we bring to God each week, and there are four different ways we've made it possible for you to bring your offering if you... um, would like to, and if you're in person, you can drop your offering. Well, Alan's got his hand in the box right now, so you may not want to go there. No, actually, you can drop your offering off. He's going to count it, So, but we'll take, we'll take late offerings as well. You can mail your check to the church address. You can give an automatic draft through your bank, or you can go online to our homepage and click on the little link that says give, and it's quite simple instructions there. Luke chapter 3. We are... In the Lenten season on the religious calendar, and that's a season that's characterized by repentance, and because it's characterized by repentance, we're taking a couple of weeks and we're looking at what the Bible actually has to say about repentance in Luke chapter 3, and so we are right now in the middle of a story. So without further introduction to the story, we're going to jump into chapter 3 and verse 7 and see what more we can learn from this story. Luke 3, 7. John said to the crowds coming out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the coming wrath, produce fruit in keeping with repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you that out of these stones, God can raise up children for Abraham. The axe is already at the root of the trees and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. So I I guess over the years I have told you all pieces of my life story. And needless to to say, when I was much younger, I was, it's an understatement, I was a hot mess. One such example of that, when I was 16 years old, I got arrested it was after school, I was driving in my mom's car, and I had a couple of friends with me. We were driving through a particular neighborhood. We had some pot in the car, we were getting high. We, I'm pretty sure, had opened bottles of alcohol, the, the pot was actually illegal at that time at that place. We had open containers of alcohol in the car, and we were in this neighborhood, and we came to this place where we realized we needed to go to the bathroom, so we just pulled over in the middle of the neighborhood, right out there in the open, went to the bathroom, not thinking somebody might be watching us, Well, all the houses around somebody watched, was, they called the police. A few minutes later, for some reason, I was driving the back of somebody's yard, three police cars surrounded my car. They took us to this woman's house, and she identified us. That was kind of awkward. And then they took us in for a number of things, for indecent exposure, for uh, intoxication while driving, for uh, possession of marijuana, for open container of alcohol, for trespassing, for reckless driving. They took us to jail, and they told me that I had to call my parents. I was only 16. I I think that was the most difficult phone call I've ever made in my life. And my father who is actually watching this as well today, so hey dad, he remembers this story. I mean, how do you forget these stories? But one of the reasons he remembers this story is because in that same neighborhood, on that same day, at that same time, little did both of us know, that he would be in that neighborhood also as a realtor having a particular business meeting and look down, what is mom's car doing sitting there with police cars surrounding it? That's a small snapshot of what my life was like, a very small snapshot. A few days after that particular event, the I guess he was a youth leader, a volunteer, adult volunteer in the youth group. He picked me up in his car, He took me for a ride, we went for a walk, and he tried to talk some sense into me. And he told me the story of the Ethiopian unit getting baptized, and he says, Eddie, what you need to do is you need to get baptized, and I thought, well, <laughs> I'm in a heap of trouble, I, I don't want to die and go to hell. This is probably now is as, a, is as good a time as ever to get baptized. And so that following Sunday, I was baptized. And afterwards, my mom and dad with some friends, they took us to, um, to a wonderful restaurant with some friends. And we celebrated because Eddie is a new person. Finally, Eddie has changed. And that was Sunday. And I got up Monday morning. and It was life back to usual. Nothing had changed, had it that. This repentance, as we looked at last week, this change on the inside that leads to a change on the outside that is to accompany baptism, it was, it was absent at that time in my life. And so that story I just told you of my life, it really, it, it reflects this story that I just read. There are these individuals that were, that were running to John the Baptist. He says they were fleeing from the coming wrath to be baptized in the sense that they so much didn't want God to punish for, them, for their sins. That they were letting John baptize them in the Jordan River. But they had absolutely no plan, no inclination to change and to repent. And so John steps up and he speaks a powerful call, a bold call to repentance. And it's in this call to repentance that we find what repentance really is. Last week I shared with you five aspects of what true repentance, I'm calling it uh, lent on steroids, true repentance looks like. We're going to look at even more than five this week. As a matter of fact, I'm going to have to move through, move through them quickly so you guys buckle up and work our way through it. What do we learn about repentance from this story of John here in Luke chapter 3? All of them start with a P last week. All of them did today. All the points are going to start with a P to help you remember. And First of all, repentance is politically, that's my P, Repent, repentance is politically incorrect. Let me explain to you because I know that's sensitive all of a sudden just by me saying that. It seems as though in our day it would have been said to John, John look, okay so I get it that we have religious freedom but you can't talk like this. You don't call people names like snakes or or vipers and then you don't speak about their ancestors and you don't, you don't compare them to trees that are going to be cut down and thrown into the fire. And John, you don't people tell people that what they're doing is wrong and that they need to change. You don't do that, John. If you keep this up, you're going to get canceled. And, and it's what I shared with you last week. I am, I am concerned that an American version of Christianity is evolving that is void of the word repentance. It's become a taboo. It's become a bad word because... Their very thought of repentance assumes, well, something is right, something is wrong, and change needs to occur, but that's intolerant. That's unloving, and that's judgmental. I am concerned that a version of American Christianity is is evolving that communicates a superficial and shallow message that is creating superficial and shallow Christians that are anything but authentic followers of Jesus Christ. I believe that we are seeing a spineless postmodern version of Christianity that doesn't see the need to speak of sin and repentance for to do so that's narrow minded and that'll hurt feelings and that'll hurt people's self-esteem but I'm not convinced that hurt feelings are always so bad. As we see in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, he says, godly sorrow. That word sorrow, that's, that's hurt feelings. Godly sorrow that leads to repentance. That's a turning of my life to God. That's, that's a good thing. I don't know about you, but my self-esteem sometimes needs confronting. My prideful, selfish self needs to be confronted that I might be emptied of myself and filled with Christ. You see, John wasn't a frustrated, angry preacher venting his feelings at these people. It says in chapter 3 and verse 2 that the word of God came to him. This was a truth that had to be spoken. Church, there is something dreadfully wrong when truths of God are out of bounds language not to be spoken. And therefore, as I shared with you last week, I believe that we need bold and loving people like John who will love their nation, who will love their church, who will love their family, who will love their friends enough to speak truth. Now, I've given this to you to text. Can I figure out in your life groups? So let me give you a little touch of what I think about it. What is John doing calling people snakes and vipers? Is that okay? What, what do you do about that? Well, it's interesting. He's following Jesus' playbook. Jesus actually called people snakes and vipers. My take on that is, is that he is identifying these religious people that have come to him as, as deceitful. Religious hypocritical, deceitful people like Satan, the snake, the great serpent, who was the father of all lies. And yeah, I'll admit what we see here is strong language. It's calling a spade a spade, but it was needed to awaken people to repentance. Secondly, we see in verses 8 and 9 using the metaphor of a fruit tree that repentance is productive. Repentance is productive. In verse 8 we read this word these words produce fruit in keeping with repentance. The fruit of repentance is is visible evidence on the outside of something that is happening on the inside. I know that's an orange tree because I see oranges on it, and the result of oranges being on that orange tree tells me there's something on the inside that's producing that fruit that tells me, oh, that is an orange tree. And while it's nice to put ashes on the forehead, as, we, as it's done in the, in the Lenten season in the shape of a cross, that's a visible sign of repentance. More important, Lent on steroids, we would call it, is a visible sign in your life, in my life, of the fruit of the Spirit and the image of Christ. This is a, a radical Change. And as John is asking these people, well, it's nice that you're Bible believing church going folks, but but where's the fruit? And when I thought when I said that uh, uh, those of you that are a certain age and older are going to remember this particular commercial, it was a Wendy's commercial and you remember the older lady, she would go, "Where's the beef?" Now, a lot of y'all haven't seen that, so we want to share a part of history with you right now. <laughs> certainly is a big bun. It's a very big bun. <laughs> big fluffy bun. It's a very big fluffy bun. Where's the beef? Some hamburger places give you a lot less beef on a lot of bun. Where's the beef? At Wendy's, we serve a hamburger we modestly call a single. And Wendy's single has more beef than the Whopper or Big Mac. At Wendy's, you get more beef and less bun. Hey, where's the beef? I don't think there's anybody back there. You want something better. You're Wendy's kind of people. You can call it a hamburger, but where's the beef? You can call yourself a disciple, a a follower of Jesus Christ. But John is asking here, where is the fruit? Where is the likeness of Christ displayed in your life? And why is it more visible rather instead sin in your life? Now, let's, let's understand that you can, like these people you, that, that John was speaking to, you can deceptively put on a really good Sunday show, right? But Monday through Friday, or Monday, let's include Saturday. Monday through Saturday. <laughs> take a break on Saturday, right? Where's the fruit? And so John, John strengthens this point in verse 9 where he strongly states that a fruit tree without good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire, implying the powerfully serious consequences of neglecting repentance. And so that leads us to the next aspect of repentance. Number three, repentance is not excused, John tells these people, it's not excused by privilege. Notice verse 8, and this is, this is what a, a good preacher is going to do. Sometimes I try to, I'm not as good at it as John was, but you're thinking, what are they going to say while I'm preaching this, or what are they thinking while I'm saying this? John is doing this, so before giving them a chance to thank it or say it, he says, I know what you're thinking, I know what you're going to say. He says in verse 8, do not begin to say to yourself, well, we have Abraham as our father. Who, who do you think you are, John, to speak to us like this? To call us snakes and to to compare us to, to trees that need to be cut down and thrown into the tree? Who are you to tell us that we are wrong and that we, we need to change? I'll have you understand that we are Bible-believing, church-going, pure-blooded children of Abraham. We are baptized members of the church of Christ. We attend with some level of regularity. We tithe with some level of regularity. My mom and dad went to this church. My grandparents went to this church. To which John replies, whoop-dee-doo. do." <laughs> is the fruit? There's a lot of talk right now of white privilege. And whether you agree with White privilege or not, I would suggest there clearly is something here that is called religious privilege. And it's a mentality that my religious activity and my religious heritage, that's the basis of my salvation. How I live doesn't really matter. Therefore, repentance is not necessary. But here in this story, we understand that repentance is not excused by privilege. Number four, we see in verses 10 through 14, another point there. We see actually two points. I'm squeezing two into one here. Repentance is personal, and repentance is practical. So upon telling them, hey, this is not right. You guys need to repent. Their next question, it was a fair question in verse 10. They said, well, what should we do then? Because you know, repent, that's not a word we use much around here. It's not, it's a church word. It's a Bible word. It's not a word we use. What do you mean by repent? What does that mean for my life personally and practically and specifically? And John says, oh, I can tell you what that means. In verse 11, John answered, anyone who has two shirts should share with the one who has none. And anyone who has food should do the same. Even tax collectors came to be baptized. Teacher, they asked, well, what should we do? Don't collect any more than you're required to he told them. Then some soldiers asked him and what should we do? And he replied don't extort money and don't accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. And so you notice that repentance for these individuals looked a lot different than it did for these uh, people that were other individuals. It was very specific and personal and practical to each individual. And that's important because it's not good enough for you to leave a dead convicted and say that's right I need to change. I need to repent. Well what does that really look Like for you specifically, you must leave with a conviction, specifically and practically and and personally, what really needs to change in your life. What does that mean for you? Now, I could do like John, and and, and I could say, Well, Alice, this is what it means for you, and I could say, Well, Matt, this is what it means for you, and Barry, that would be really embarrassing if I'd called you. But I'm gonna, I trust the Holy Spirit, and no, I don't trust, I know the Holy Spirit's gonna do a better job than that, so I'm gonna ask you to really listen to Him this morning And he's saying here's what I'm talking about for you as an individual repentance is personal and it's practical now let's look in verses 15 through 18 and we see another very important aspect of repentance the people verse 15 were waiting expectantly and we're all wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the messiah John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 18, and with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. I don't know what number this is. I didn't put numbers on these, but number five or six. Repentance is positive. Repentance is is positive. And I think this is incredibly important because typically when I say the word repentance, we don't have this... Positive, happy thought that comes to mind. Probably you have in mind a picture like this one that Christy's showing us on the screen of this angry preacher that's just shoving his finger down someone's throat and and, and preaching them and and really upset. And this is what basically John uh, looked like himself. But verse 18, it tells us that John was proclaiming good news. And you read this and you're sitting there going, How how is this good news when you're saying, you're a bunch of snakes, you're not living right, you need to change, and if you don't, Jesus is going to burn you up like chaff with unquenchable fire. That just doesn't sound like good news, John. But imagine if you're driving down a road that's headed off a cliff, and I warn and plead with you to turn around, and I say, and you say to me, Eddie, stop being so negative, Stop being so judgmental. Who are you to say that I'm going in the wrong direction? I'm not being negative. I'm actually trying to save your life. I love the way repentance is described in Acts 3.19. This is beautiful. We read this last week. He says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out and times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Times of refreshing. I envision someone totally covered with gook and filth and dirt and they walk into a warm shower and that warm shower is washing all of that filth off of their body and they walk out of there with such an incredible renewing, renewed feeling. That is repentance. So refreshed. That's exactly how I felt years later when I came to know Christ. When I turned from those... Self destructive ways and turned my life to God and the life that He had always intended for me. It was not, oh goodness, it was so incredibly refreshing. Luke makes this point so beautifully clear in Luke chapter 15. And many of you know the story. He tells the story of the prodigal son when he repented, when he turned around from the self-destructive choices that he was making making. And he made his way home to his father. And there they had an incredibly huge party. There was incredible rejoicing. It was a positive experience. And there in that context, Jesus says, I tell you, there is rejoicing in the presence of angels over one sinner who repents. Listen, repentance, whatever we're talking about today, whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life, it's for your good. It is positive. But I've got to be honest with you. The last point I want you to hear is repentance is most always painful. It's most always painful. Look in verses 19 and 20. But when John rebuked Herod, the Tetrarch, or we understand him to be the king, the Tetrarch, because of his marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked John up in prison. Now, you want to know what's that about? Go to Matthew 14. You got the full story there. I'll give you a brief summary of this story. Not only was John, we see here in Luke 3, calling to repentance, telling people they're wrong and they need to change for so these Jewish people and this Gentile audience, he was actually doing that to Herod, the king. He went to the king and he said, Herod, it is wrong for you to be sexually involved with somebody that you're not married to. And I'm thinking, John, do you, did you, really, do you really need to say that? Don't you think maybe you should just mind your own business? Yeah, just mind my own business and let Herod go to hell. That's not John. He was bold. He loved Herod enough to speak truth to him. But here's the problem. That's when it gets really painful. Painful. It was painful for Herod, and it was painful for John. Let me tell you why it was painful for Herod. Because Herod didn't want to stop. He didn't want to change. Herod didn't want to give up that relationship. Herod didn't want to stop the sexual immorality. That's not easy to do. Changing, turning from sin, is most always painful. Jesus likens it to gouging out your eye to cutting off your hand, to cutting off your foot. There's an eye or hand or a foot. There's something wrong with it. It's infected. It's going to destroy the rest of your body. In order for you to be saved, we're going to have to take out the eye, the hand, or the foot. But honestly, I love my eye, my hand, and my foot. I cherish my eye, my hand, and my foot. I don't want to lose my eye, my hand, and my foot. And to lose my eye, my hand, and my foot, that would be incredibly painful. I'm not doing that. And Jesus says, well... It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into hell. For me personally, in every case that I've had to repent and make changes in things in my life and have had to let go of things, it's been hard every time. As the old adage goes, without the pain or no pain, no gain. Listen, repentance... It's painful. And so it was painful for Herod. And therefore, you know, Herod decided not doing that. He chose not to repent. And therefore, it became painful for John. Because when John spoke to Herod and said, this is not right. I care about you. This needs to change. That hurt Herod's feelings. That upset Herod. And Herod, being the king, put John in prison. And eventually, John was beheaded because of that. And you might think, I, I, I think John would have just been better, better off saying nothing to Herod. The church, saying nothing for John was not an option. And, and it shouldn't be for us as well. Luke 3, 2, the word of God had come to John. And he could not but speak boldly and lovingly God's word regardless of the consequences. I'll tell you this, if you step up and lovingly and boldly speak truth in our world today, if you speak truth to people you love, you'll likely lose some friends. You may be hurt. You may get mocked. You may get canceled, as we say. Listen, you may lose your life. Many missionaries have. But we must not let fear become an obstacle in our own personal repentance, nor in calling others to repentance. And so I'll close. With basically the exact same questions that I that I asked you that last week. For those of you who are who are not followers of Jesus Christ and you've yet to give your life to Christ, this is the day when, like Tessa, you're baptized into Christ, and this is where you are today. And the question this passage is asking us: What's here? What are the obstacles between where God wants you and where? you are today or from that passage last week we looked at in the earlier part of chapter 3 what are the valleys that need to be filled what are the mountains and hills in your life that need to be removed or from the passage we saw today what are the specific and practical and personal changes that God's spirit is telling you you need to make though likely most of them will be painful so that God can take you and bring you into an incredible time of refreshing. And for those of us who are, who are way down the journey and we're believers in Christ, have been Christians for, for many years, this is where God wants you to be. This is where God has a desire and a plan for your life. But the problem, as I talked about last week, this is where you are and this is where you've been for so way too long. And the question is, what is here in the middle What are your mountains and hills that need to be removed? What are the valleys that need to be filled in? What are the very specific, personal, and practical things in your life that you need to face and change so that the Holy Spirit can work in your life and bring you to incredible times of refreshing? Let's stand together and ask God to answer that prayer for us, those questions for us in prayer. Father, instead of like John, me saying, and you need to do this, and and now you need to do this, and now you need to do that, I'm trusting right now that you, Holy Spirit, will do that. You will speak to each each one of us and show us where you want us to go. And I think most of us already know that part. It's a matter of show us what it is in our hearts and lives that needs to be changed. And it's hard, Lord, we ask that you would give us boldness and courage. That you would take us into a great time of, of refreshing. We receive these words from you, Father, in Jesus' name. And as we go into this time of prayer, I, my shepherds are here and they're available to pray with you. They'll be kind of wandering around. Reach out to them and, and if you need them to pray with you, a lot of us are carrying heavy burdens, reach out to, to one of them in prayer this morning. If you know someone that... Um, need your prayer and need your encouragement we can let this be something of a meet and greet let's sing but let's get out of the chairs and let's encourage one another let's pray with one another and let's truly be a house of prayer that jesus has called us to be hey i'm eddie white the senior minister for the east side church of christ sure want to thank you for joining us today on our podcast i hope today's message was indeed a blessing to you like to invite you to browse our website at eastsidesprings.com to get more information or to contact us And as always, we indeed welcome you to join us for our worship service in Colorado Springs as we seek to live out Jesus' mission of making disciples of all nations.